and an atmosphere for us to do. Amen. Creates the atmosphere of heaven on earth. Makes it easy to hear from God. Father, this morning we thank you that your word is with us and we thank you, Father, for teaching us your ways. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and we all say, I'm going to begin actually where Pastor, um, the scripture that Pastor read in Ezekiel chapter 22, if we can turn there very quickly. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Last night we were um, just dealing with the, with, with the subject of intercession. And part of the reason why um, part of the reason why it's necessary for us to talk about, about that is because the, the modern church appears to be built around the needs of people. There's nothing wrong with that. I need you to hear me good. Uh, the modern church, particularly in the West, is built around the needs of people. We want to make you as comfortable as we can make you. We want to make sure that the temperature is right, that the seat is nice and soft. We want to make sure that the service does not infringe upon your time, that you come in, you get a quality word, but then you can go about your life as soon as you can without infringing upon your, your time. Everything is sensitive to the needs of people. And there's a model within, um, within the church growth world that is called seeker sensitive, that the church must be built to be sensitive to the people that are seeking. And um, started really early 90s. It was a movement that gained some steam in the early 90s to create a seeker-sensitive environment. So when a person walks in, they don't get too offended by what's going on. They have an understanding of what's going on. Before they're saved, that they, they feel comfortable in our presence. Ah. The only thing is this though, is that the church when it was established by Christ was established in the midst of controversy. Because on the day of Pentecost, some crazy things happened. Crazy things that had tongues wagging. People were talking about the church. And not in a complimentary way. The first Christians that formed, literally formed the, the foundation of the first church were accused of being drunkards. That they were inebriated. Until Peter had to get up and say, they are not drunk as you suppose. This is what Joel talked about when he says, in the end times, I will build my church, my, you know, I will pour my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. There is something that has happened since the late 80s into the early 90s that tried to make church as comfortable as possible to people that don't know God. And sometimes we miss the opportunity that when we assemble, as the people of God. We are not assembling to just meet the felt needs of people. We are assembling to partner with heaven for what heaven wants to be done on the earth. So sometimes the Lord in old school Pentecost where I was raised, sometimes we went into wailing and travail in prayer, in church, during a service, when there was a prayer need that was pressing. The old you know, our uncles and aunties used to cry before God. Now, if I brought a visitor, imagine this, you bring a visitor that doesn't know anything about Christianity, you're just waiting, hoping that the message is going to be good and understand. Now, all of a sudden, people are crying on top of their voices. Ah! Scared a lot of people. Some people just walked out and never came back. 
But those that stayed understood that what we call the church is God's only partner on earth to fulfill the desires of heaven. So we don't congregate for our own comfort. We congregate because we have a God with an agenda that he wants to carry out on the earth but will not do it without the participation of the partners he has established amongst the children of men. So in this instance, here is what the Lord says through the mouth of the prophet as Pastor read um, just a little, little while back. And I'll be reading from, I'll start from verse 29. The people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppre- Now watch this. You could be speaking of another country I know or another part of the world that I'm a little familiar with. Amen. This does not have to be ancient. It can be current. Are we together? Nothing new under the sun. <laughs> He says this, the people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and they've extorted from the foreigner or the sojourner or the one who's passing through without justice. Now, because the people had committed this over the land, whenever people, there are certain activities that human beings do that bring an indictment against the land, that bring a judgment against the piece of land. There are certain edicts of God that when violated, Judgment must be passed. One of the reasons why it took, what, the many years it took for the children of Israel to inherit the promised land was because God said that the sins of the Amorites had not yet been fulfilled. Meaning they were still fulfilling the quota of sin that would cause them to be dispossessed. And that's why the Lord then warned the Israelites, listen, I'm not giving you this land because you are better than anybody else. If I'm giving you this land because you have not practiced what these guys have practiced, but if you learn their ways, the same thing that caused them to lose the land will cause you to lose the land. Meaning if you engage in the pollution of the land by the spilling of the wanton spilling of blood, if you pollute the land by robbing one another, extorting one another, living for self and for self alone, then the very same reason why the Ammonites and the Amorites lost the land of promise will be the reason why you lose it. And that's why in the times of the Jeconias, you know, in, you know, 150 years before Judah went to Babylon, uh, the, the 10 tribes were taken into, into Assyria. Dispossessed of their land, taken to a foreign territory. 150 years later, Judah is then taken to Babylon. Because why? Because they practiced the things that caused the land to come under judgment. Oh God, you cannot continue to pollute you know, a, a, a land and maintain authority over it. There has to be judgment. But now here's what the Lord says through the mouth of, of, of Ezekiel. All of this could have been circumvented if there was one person that stood in the gap. You see, when, when, when I listen to eschatological teachers, eschatolo- eschatology is the study of the end times. There's many books written and there's many TV shows on the end times and, 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 and eschatological teachers seem to think that God is obsessed with burning a lot of people and judging a lot of people and destroying nations. The Lord does not love to do that. He does not enjoy to do that. That's why no matter how sinful a nation gets, if God's people who are called by his name pray, his hand is stayed, and judgment is averted. So watch this. The Lord said to Ezekiel, I watched them do all this on this land. They were not, God help me, 
says there was no justice given to the sojourner. Do you know what the sojourner is? The sojourner is the foreigner. The sojourner is the refugee. America, I need you to hear me good. You that are in America, I, I believe for all of you that are, you know, from other ethnicities that are here that were not born and raised here, you were brought here for a purpose. And you better be prayerful. Don't just glean from, from, the, from the privilege of being in America if you're not going to cry out to God on behalf of this nation. If you have no interest in praying for this nation, you, don't have, you have no business being here. You've got to love the country that the Lord has placed you in enough to pray for the country that God has placed you in. God brought us from Africa, for some of you from India. We, there's not a lot of things we know. But the one thing we do know, which, I, which I'm finding that we're having to teach, you know, regular Americans is how to pray. We know how to pray. Because you see, for some of us, your grandparents had nothing. They had no budget. They had nothing. And yet they served God faithfully because they knew how to contact God in prayer. So some of you are imports into this nation for the sake of holding up the banner of prayer. Because you know how it is to labor into the night. You know how it is to go on an empty stomach because you're fasting and praying. You know how it is to spend hours, all night prayer meetings. I was raised on all night prayer meetings. That's why we're here. Not just to drive nice cars and to live in nice neighborhoods. And we have decent paying jobs. We're here to lift up the manner of prayer over a nation so God does not bring it under judgment. I find a lot of people that will say stuff like this. Well, you know, if God does not judge America, he ought to, you know, raise up Sodom and Gomorrah and apologize. As if God is obsessed with passing judgment. God loves people. And if any of you know anything about God, you will know that his heart is loaded with love for people. But there comes a time when people's activity warrants the judgment of God. And the only way to reset from judgment is when the intercessors, the man or the woman, he didn't say I was looking for a whole lot of men and women. He said I saw a man, one man, that might lift up the hedge, meaning to lift up what, what a hedge was, is that you would put a hedge around your house. And the hedge had to be thorn. Especially in my country, we have, we have to do the same thing. You put a thorn hedge around your house. And that thorn hedge is what keeps the serpents from coming through. Because if snakes try to come into the yard, they cannot. The hedge that is full of thorns will keep the, the serpent out. But if you cut the hedge, the serpent comes in, somebody gets bitten. So what, that's what the Lord was saying is that I need people to make up the hedge around the nation. And to stand in wherever there's a gap, where there's no hedge, you stand there. So that why? So that, I, so that the devil will not attack. No. So that I won't judge them. Are we okay? Let's read and finish it and then we'll talk about today. Oh, God help me. He says this. He says, the people of the land have practiced extortion, committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and the needy and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall or the hedge and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. There was no intercessor in all of Judah and Israel because everybody was busy living for themselves. When I was saying yesterday that I believe the most important ministry on the planet right now is the ministry of the intercessor, there is no greater calling there's no greater calling. Because there's a mystery of the partnership between heaven and earth that a lot of people don't understand. People are under the assumption that get, God can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it in regards to the activity on the earth. 
Like God can just decide, ah, I'll just save that group. And no, 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 no. There is divine protocol. The Lord is governed by the counsel of his own will. God is very organized. Very organized. Nothing happens just automatically. Everything happens by the, by the agency of divine partnership. That's why you were created bearing the image and the likeness of God. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, 27, 28. Now let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. Are we together? Are we doing okay? Uh, let's go there let's, real quick and then we'll make our way down. Genesis chapter 1. Tonight I feel a, a leading to, to teach on a certain aspect of spiritual warfare. We'll see how it goes. But I know you need to hear it. Amen. It says now, verse, verse 26, Now let us make men in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created men in his own image, and in the image of God, he created he, him, male and female, he created he, them, and God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So what we see is in this instance, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Then in Genesis from chapter 1, uh, verse 1, to around verse 25, the Lord is establishing order on the earth. He's creating, um, you know, the, the, the dry land and the seas. He's pulling out the mountains. He's creating flora and fauna, the animal kingdom, the vegetable kingdom. You know, he's speaking to the marine life. Uh, the, the seas are filled with, with living things and the birds are flying above. He's establishing all this in six days. But, but, uh, but on the sixth day, he, he pauses. And then he now begins to create the entity or the being that he shall put in charge of everything he has made in the previous five days. So he says, I want the one who is in charge to bear my resemblance. He was talking about you and I as human beings. Meaning what? He wanted us to be his reflection on the earth. Why would the Lord desire that? I don't know. But all I know is that he did. So he says, children, I'm giving you everything that I've made. I'm putting it under your charge. Amen. That's why, listen, looking after the planet is not something that should be left to progressive leftists that don't know men, you know, God from the men on the moon. The greatest conservationists are supposed to be Christians because we understand that the first assignment we were given was to take care of the only living planet we have found in our solar system. But what do Christians do? We burn, we loot, we destroy everything and we don't care because we say, oh, Jesus is coming soon and he'll reset it anyway. Where the first assignment you were given was charged to take care of this piece of property, this little third rock from the sun, this little blue planet that supports life from a drop of ditch water to the macro. The Lord has been amazing in the life he has put on this earth and he put you and I in charge. That's why when we come to the New Testament, it talks about how creation is groaning. For what? For the manifestation of what? Of the sons of God. Because creation knows that when the true followers of the Lord come, they cause a healing to overflow in the land. If you're ever a student of revival, here's what you'll find out. I can give one particular revival that, I can, that happened in my country. There's many that you can study, but um, the one that, 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 that happened in, in Zimbabwe. We had a
Bible study services in, um, in, in Chingeli. Something miraculous then happens, right? Occasionally in 94, we had a few rains that would hit the southeast section of Zimbabwe in that area. What was unique is that that rain only fell on one property. That was Wilson's property. So rain would fall only on Wilson's property. If I drove you to his property in 94, 95, you'd imagine this. Imagine driving through a dry desert where the soil is, is clay, so it's caked. You know how clay gets all cracked when it's, when it's dry? You're driving through, you know, literally hours and hours just driving through wasteland, and all of a sudden you see a green oasis out of nowhere. Green everywhere. If you went on Wilson's land, here's what you'll find. Wilson had some of the best produce that was served in the entire southeast section of our country at that time. Carrots were like this. Cucumbers were like this. Watermelons were oversized. Everything was just oversized. Onions was just growing like tall like nothing you'd ever seen before. And Wilson, for him, you see, it was normal. Yeah, I'm a child of God. So, you know, my land is consecrated. But, but, but well, here's the thing. So the man in the poorest section of the, the, of, of the country that has been hit with drought the most was the number one supplier of all the grocery stores in the main city. People could not understand. Here's what's even more crazy that took place. When the rains eventually came back, our ecosystem in that part of the country was so damaged that we had an infestation of birds and mice, field mice, that destroyed the entire crop. The first crop that came after the rains was destroyed by birds and mice. And they attacked everywhere, except on Wilson's land. And for Wilson, that's normal. Why? I'm a child of God. That means what? The land that I am a custodian of on his behalf is consecrated. It's healed. It's not under the curse, it's under the blessing. And so we saw this in, in, you know, in, in, in living color. If you do study revivals, you'll find out about the revival in Guatemala. Same thing happened. Of the revival that took place in Central and South America, same, same effect. That wherever revival will hit a piece of land, the land will get cured, it will get healed. The produce becomes just bumper harvest upon bumper harvest upon bumper harvest. What is that? Is that when you and I as the children of God begin to be custodians representing him on the earth, and we, are, we take charge of that which he has given us charge over, with his heart, he blesses everything that is under us. There is a partnership between heaven and earth that the Father has always been looking for. The Lord wanted to heal the land in Shingeli, but he couldn't do it outside of a man that was dedicated to him. He found one man, Wilson and his family. And the Lord comes down and touches the land through the agency of that individual that made himself available that said, here I am. I'm available. And because I'm available, now heaven can touch earth at that point and the Lord can bless the people and fed people in the time of drought because Wilson gave a lot of his food away, kept many people alive. Why? Because of the heaven and earth partnership. People are under the assumption that, well, if God just wants to accomplish something, you know, God doesn't need anything. In as far as the activities on the earth are concerned, God will do nothing outside of human participation. If you say no, he will find someone else. But in order for him to move on this earth, he needs a willing vessel 
from the human family to say to say here I am. Why? Because when he gave us charge on the planet in Genesis chapter 1, 26, 27, he never took it back. That's why in order for him, listen to me, to take full charge of the earth, he came down as a man. Because he recognized that the title deeds on this planet, I don't know about Mars, but the title deeds on this planet were given to the sons of men. Here's what I think Psalm 115, 116 says what? The heavens, even the highest heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the sons of men. He says the heavens are mine, but he says I have given you the earth. You know what that means then? That means that part of your purpose, please hear me good, part of the important part of your purpose as a child of God, can you help me here, bro? Is to participate with the Lord in as far as the earth is concerned. Somebody has to say yes to the Lord. Somebody has to do it. It's a heaven and earth partnership. So when we're talking about, about intercession, it's because that's what, Amos chapter 3 and verse 7, let's turn there real quick. Amos was one of the sons of the, he was a sheep sharer, not from amongst the sons of the prophets. But let's listen to what Amos says. Are we okay? Are we happy? Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, sir. I, I will do just that. Here's what Amos says. For the Lord does nothing, not some things, not the Lord does most things. No, he says for the Lord does nothing. without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Meaning all activity that God does on the earth, he does by the agency of human partnership. Somewhere, somehow, somebody said yes. And that is why God moves on the earth. Somewhere, if it's not you, it doesn't mean it's nobody. I can, I can tell you right now, rest assured, if you say no, someone will say yes. You see, that's what Mordecai was trying to tell Esther. He says, Esther, we are under attack. Can you stand on our behalf before the king? And Esther began to oh, hem and haw. Oh, I don't know because I haven't been invited into his council. Then here's what Mordecai said. That little old uncle looked at his niece and he says, daughter, if you don't do it for us, salvation for the Jews will come from another place. But what if you are come into the kingdom for such a time as this? If you don't stand up for us, child, it's okay. God will raise up somebody else. But what if this is your opportunity to participate in divine activity? Maybe you have come into the kingdom, not because you are the prettiest girl in town, not because you are all this and you're all that and you went through a year and a half of cosmetics. To, no, no. Maybe you came into the kingdom because of at such a time as this. What's your answer? And Esther knew. Okay, three days fast and I'll go before the king. And if I die, I die. What is that? That's a young lady that finally realized in order for God to do what he wants to do amongst my people, he needs a willing vessel to say yes. And even if it kills me, my answer is yes. Why I love this and why I love teaching about this is that it makes me understand for my own thing. I don't have to be the best teacher and preacher. You know what I mean? I don't have to be the most amazing intercessor that can I don't have to be any of those things. I just have to have the little bit of sense enough to say, 
Yes. Whatever you want me to do, Father. I was talking to some brothers out there, outside, that their thing is building, right? They're building churches around the, around the country and around the world. These are men that came to the Lord and said, I, I may not know how to preach like the best preacher, but I know how to use a hammer and a nail, and I know how to use sheetrock, and I know how to lay a foundation. I know how to, uh, how to build. So, Father, can you use my hands to do something that is kingdom consequence? The power of human participation. You can never belittle that. It's the only reason why you are still alive after you got saved. If God only saved you because he was going to take you to heaven, you would have died the day you got saved. You lived to see another day because there is still heavenly activity that God wants to do on the earth, but he refuses to do it without human participation. If God wants to reach a generation, he finds somebody within that generation that will say yes to him. And then people will say, well, you know, um, uh, you know the, the story, I think it's in what, uh, Matthew 25, the, the, the parable of the banquet. The Lord was holding a banquet. And here's what happens all the time, right? And, and then he says, go and invite these people that are on the guest list. And they went to the people that were on the guest list and all of them found an excuse, you know. Ah, you know, I just married a woman, so I need to be building my house right now. But uh, go and tell him, I said, thank you for the invitation. Another one, ah, you know, I just bought a new ox and I want to, and then a new plow and I want to try it out in the field today. You know, another one, ah, you know, I'm busy with something else. I'm leaving and going to another part of town. Everybody did an excuse. And that's why the master said, go to the highways and the byways. Why? Because if those that are invited say no, it doesn't mean that my house is going to be empty. It just means that my house will be full of other people. Because if you say no, you don't necessarily circumvent the plan of God. Because he's going to find somebody that will say yes. But you miss out on an opportunity to be a kingdom participator, to really partner with the Lord in doing something amazing for him. And let me tell you this, just as those people that were invited to that banquet had an excuse, there's not a single one of us here that has so much free time that we can fit in all manner of kingdom activity. Anyone here that has got time to invest in the kingdom is because they make the time to do it. We all could be doing other things with our lives. The, the, world, the Lord took me from the world of business and the world of politics, which I have a tremendous aptitude for and a tremendous appetite for, and put me in the kingdom of his, of his church. It's not that this is the only thing I could be doing with my life. You understand? But what I found out is this, is that if you find anyone who has, you know, who has come close to God, who has, come, who has cultivated their ear to hear the voice of God, who has cultivated their heart to feel the heartbeat of God, they have 24 hours in the day just as you. They have responsibilities just like you. They have the pressure of time and commitment just like you. It's just that they make the commitment that they're going to partner with the Lord. So they go the extra mile to make room for him. Are we okay? So if the Lord does nothing on the earth without human participation, People that come up to me, Pastor Felix, you know, um, I want to find out God's plan for my life. God's plan for your life? Find out what God's doing and do it. Open your eyes. It's like that man, in, you know, that the Lord Jesus Christ talked about um, in the book of Luke, in, in the story of what is it, the Good Samaritan? What happened? A man was journeying from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell amongst thieves, 
robbed him, took everything, beat him up and left him close to death. Then a priest who was probably journeying to the temple, he was making his way to Jerusalem, possibly going to the house of God where he was going to pray very hard about God's purpose for his life. He passes by a man on the side of the street bleeding and dying. And what does he do? He crosses the road to the other side and carries on going. Why? I don't want to be late for church. Why? Because when I get to church, then I'm really going to pray and say, Father, please reveal to me your plan for my life. Dave, show me, Katao, what do you want me to do? And he left a man bleeding and dying on the side of the street to go to a prayer meeting to ask God's plan for his life. So that was the priest. The second guy was a Levite. It means he was uh, on, the, on the board in the church. Right? One of the board members. And he was going to the general board meeting. Amen. <laughs> so he was running late. And he sees a man bleeding. Ah! Oh, I could help, but then I'll be late. Because we're starting fasting and praying today. We're going to be praying for God to reveal his will for our life. Leaves that man. Goes all the way to church. Right? I mean, he's going for it. This guy is, is, is getting in there. Praying down heaven. Father, reveal what it is that you want me to do. Show me, Lord, show me. And he left a man bleeding and dying. Now watch this. Here comes a Samaritan. A Samaritan was considered to be polluted people because they were of mixed parentage between Jews and the northern tribes of the Canaanites and the pagans. So they were considered filthy. What he does is this. As this passing by, he sees a man who's half bleeding, who's bleeding out and half dead. And instantly he understands. For the moment, I know what the purpose for my life is. Why? How can I stare at a crisis and still have the guts to go before God and ask him, what's your purpose for my life? Until this crisis is solved, I have a purpose right now. I don't need some fancy prophet to lay hands on me. I don't need some guy from North India to come prophesy over me. Yes, you're going to go to medical missions. No, I don't need that. Right now, I just need to help this guy. Amen. I know that North Indian prophets, all of you are going to medical missions. Amen. You're either engineers or you're going to medical missions as doctors. You know, so he doesn't do anything like that. He just immediately jumps into gear. I got to help the situation. He takes this man, he bandages him. He takes care of him. He pours out oil and wine to soothe his wounds. He takes him onto his own car. That's his own donkey, right? He walks while the man rides, right? He takes him to an inn and he says to the innkeeper, this man needs a, a, a period to recover. Here's some money. It will take care for him for a while. I'm going into town. I'll be back this way. And if the money that you use to help him is more than I have paid you, I'll make good. I will pay you the remainder when I come back. This is a man who found his purpose without fasting and praying. He found his purpose because he understands that the Lord loves people and that because that man is in a broken situation, I already know why I'm alive today. I'm alive so that he might live to see one more day. I'm alive to play my part in participating with heaven. Do you think maybe that man in that condition may have cried out to God? Yes. Well, why didn't God come down himself and save him? 
He says, I tried twice. I sent a priest. I sent a Levite. But they were too busy running to church. They left him there to die. So I found a Samaritan who said yes. And this Samaritan story is now fossilized in the eternal word of God. Meaning for all eternity, his story will forever be told. Why? Because he, he instantly participated with heaven to take care of a situation. That, that's why I, I, I will contend with you. It's easy to serve God. Find out what he's doing. Join him. Find out what's important to him. Join him. Oh, but Felix, time, you know, you know, time and, uh, and I'm, I, I've had people, listen, I've had people, I've prayed, I've got, I've got how many? I've got maybe nine miracle kids. What nine, the last time I counted, it could be more. Meaning the parents, I met them when they had no child. Eight, nine years, 12 years in one instance. Pastor, we have not been able to have a child. And I said, I'll bring this before the Lord and pray. And cried out to the Lord on their behalf. And one of them out in Dallas, no, I would use the one in New York. One of them in New York, I, I went in there and I prophesied over him that you know what the Lord says not one but as many as you want this is after him and his wife had been trying for eight years they almost his wife was at his side they're crying and then sure enough the Lord gave them their firstborn shortly after that the Lord gave them twins and I remember one particular time you know going to the church and saying hey so where is brother so and so and he says our pastor you know I wanted to come to the meeting but you know the kids you know uh, I'm like the kids what <laughs> ah you know the kids you know I had to stay home because of I'm like seriously we cried out to God for this miracle. You, you don't use this miracle to keep you out of the house of God. If you, if, listen, even if you have to babysit them under the pew of the, of, the, of, of, of the church, you do that. Don't use them as an excuse to stay out of church when we cried out to God for them to come in. Ah, but you know, time, time, t- time what? Jacob at 12 and still loved God. 13, actually, if you count his sister dying, their sister dying. Don't use your kids as an excuse to not be about the things of God. Don't exempt them from the house of God. Why would you rob them? Listen, because if you don't give your kids an appetite for the things of God right now, trust me, they get to a certain age, you'll never see them in the church again. Because they were, they were, they were trained that church is optional. <laughs> that you, you only go there when it's convenient, when things balance out in time, and summer, and activities balance out, then we'll go to church. No! You're like, Felix, don't yell at us. We showed up at camp. I know, I know. I'm not yelling, I'm just speaking passionately. <laughs> same thing happened in Pennsylvania. I go there, I say, same prophecy, not one as many as you want. Boom. Third one comes along. Where is so and so at camp? Because we prayed for them at camp. Ah, we couldn't make it this time, you know, kids. Kids what? Well, you know, uh, you know I don't know. Please tell me. <laughs> Please explain that to me. Because you see, all I remember were the tears. On Sunday morning, when the pastor came up to me and says, Pastor, can you please pray for this couple? They've been going on nine years now. And I remember both husband and wife crying tears. And I remember calling on the name of the Lord and saying, Father, you have to do something. Please help. And coming back 12 months later to find out they have... So please don't explain to me this whole kids theory about how they're the reason why camp is no longer good enough because you've got kids. Come on, man. What's wrong with people? Why do you show up to church? Do you know why I show up to church? Because of heaven and earth participation. It means that maybe my voice, included with the voice of my brothers, lifting up the name of Jesus, creates the canopy 
of his presence that causes a breakthrough in the other town. So I, I don't sing because oh, I like that song, I don't like that song. It's got nothing to do with you. Oh, I don't really like that worship song. Good, we're not singing it to you. Right? No, we're singing to the Lord. Why must you sing? You sing because when you join with the brethren, what if that symphony is what causes the dwelling place of heaven where God comes down and when he sits in our midst, you know, my brother at the back there gets his breakthrough without anybody laying hands on him. If you are not important, you'll be dead. You understand? Because the devil does not want to maim you. He doesn't want to cripple you. He wants to downright kill you. He wants you out of here. If you have lived to see another day, someone is watching over you. And the question is, for what purpose? Because heaven's agenda has not yet been exhausted. And the Lord is still seeking for partners in the divine plan of God for your season. How do you know that your path is over? You will wake up one morning and you won't see this. You'll see heaven. When you're out of here, you've run your course. But as long as you wake up and you are alive in the land of the living, God is still seeking partnership that includes your name on it. Are we okay? The thing that always intrigued me was like, Lord, why, why do you put so much trust in human beings? You know, why? Why don't you just do things? You know, even people that misunderstand the sovereignty of God. Some of my friends that are, you know, uh, that are five-point Calvinists that, that, don't, that have a certain understanding of the, of, of the, oh, God is so sovereign, whatever he wants, he's just going to do however he wants. No, God is governed by the counsel of his own will. God is the most organized person you will ever know. Everything is divine protocol. Everything has divine protocol. What is divine protocol? I want to come and save the earth. But in order to come and save the earth, I need to come as a human being. In order for me to come as a human being, I need a womb to be born in. So the Lord approaches a teenage girl and says, blessed are you amongst women. Would you say yes? And what does Mary say? Be it unto me according to your word. Well, if God wanted to do it, he could have just done it without a human. Of course, the Lord could literally just, just poof, showed up. But the counsel of his will required human participation. Do you know that even in the lead up to the birth of Christ, the birth of Christ was made necessary because somebody asked him. Two individuals are recorded in the book of Luke. One is a a woman that was older, but she was widowed when she was young. Her husband died when she was young, and she never remarried. Her name was Anna, the prophetess. For the remainder of her days, she spent in the temple in Jerusalem, crying out to God for what? For, for the coming son, for the birth of, meaning Jesus, even Jesus, though he was the plan of God from the get-go, could not be born without the agency of someone on earth that asked. And that's why the Lord honored this woman with length of days. He gave her a long life because he promised her, you will, even Simeon was the other one, you will not see death until you see an answer to your prayer. What am I talking about? I'm talking about divine partnership between heaven and earth. Heaven is built on a contractual system. That's what covenant is. It's a contract between two entities that will you work with me to accomplish what I want. If you will, I'll take care of this, I'll take care of that, I'll take care of this, but I'll require you to do A, B, C, D, E. That's why we are members of what is called the new contract or the new covenant. Amen. Heaven needs you. God needs you to accomplish anything he wants. The Lord needs you. I've shared this testimony before. and it, this, The Lord taught me this early enough that a number of years ago, I'm, I'm going back easily 22, 23 years ago. I had a horrible dream one morning, Pastor. I had a dream of a plane crash, right? It's four in the morning. 
And it was so real. I saw a little uh, twin-engine plane, um, like a six-seat, one of those little six-seat planes, trying to force a landing. And in my dream, I saw its right wing catch a branch, and this little thing plummeted. And all I saw was human fragments everywhere. And I woke up. I saw human limbs, human bones everywhere. And I was shaken when I woke up. And then sensed in my spirit, pray. Because my pastor at that time was out doing ministry work and I knew that he was flying from place. I didn't know where this was. So I prayed for my pastor, Jeff, and I still felt no peace. So I said, maybe it's not Jeff. Let's pray for someone else. So I prayed and I prayed and I kept on praying. I called my worship team. I said, guys, I need you to get on call. I saw something horrible that is trying to happen. We need to pray that the Lord stops it. So all we were doing was like this. Even if the accident takes place, Father, please preserve life. Stop, stop, we, we stop the cycle of death. We rob the grave of what it's trying to accomplish. So we prayed until what? Until we felt peace. That's what intercessors do. Intercessors never leave prayer feeling agitated in your heart. As long as the agitation is there, the assignment is not yet over. Only the peace of God will let you know, it's okay, son. It's okay, daughter. You can, you can touch on something else. So we prayed for a day and a half or so and then felt peace. And when I finally felt peace, then it was okay. Exactly seven days later, I get a phone call. And it's a gentleman I'd only met once before at a church picnic. His name was Will Esteves. And Will Esteves, you know, was, used to be a pilot. Uh, he hadn't flown in a while. And so, um, so he calls me and says, Felix, um, um, were, were you praying against a plane crash um, about a week ago? I said, how do you know? He says, I, I, I ran this by your pastor and he told me you and the worship team were praying against a plane crash. I said, yes, sir, we were. He says, can you come to the local airport? I want to show you something. The local airport was exactly seven and a half to ten minutes from the church. I just hopped in my car, drove across there, and I saw this little ball of metal. It was, you could have fit, fit it right here. And he says, Felix, my wife and my three kids were in this flight, five of us, and we fell out of the sky. Because it says this, we, I, I, I hadn't flown in a while, so I chartered this plane and I flew to the capital city. But when, on the way back, I miscalculated daylight because we're getting into our fall season. So it says it was too dark for me to see the runway, but I didn't have enough fuel to go to Hippo Valley, which is another half, mile, uh, half, uh, half an hour away. So I tried to force a landing, and as I was coming down, my right wing caught a branch and we were thrown down. He says, my daughters, my three daughters and my, my wife and myself were ejected out of those tiny little airplane, those little windows. They each got pushed out of there and were thrown several feet away from the, from the plane when that thing fell down. Not a single scratch on four of them, only on Will himself. He had a cut right here that was so thin it was already drying up. So he said this, God wanted to save my life and he needed an excuse to save my life. That's why he woke you up and asked you to pray. And I just want to thank you for obeying because God was looking for a reason to save my life and he used your prayer to do that. As soon as he said that, it settled in my heart. This is what this assignment was. But then I had a greater question. Lord, what if I hadn't prayed? Putting too much trust on us, Lord. What if I had been lazy? The reason why I'm, I'm telling you this is this. There's another story that I found out in God. For any of you that are connected to the Lord in intercession, you have to be open to the Lord speaking you in visions and dreams. I know it sounds strange in today's church to say that the, the Lord can give you foreknowledge. No, you always get foreknowledge. There's no disaster that hits you or your children or your church or your city without you being given at least seven days warning. It should never be. Someone should know something to give an opportunity for the intercessors to form the wall. 
so that the Lord can preserve people. I was troubled. Shortly after I first, I moved to the United States on, on January uh, 1st, 1998. is when I arrived in Denver with nothing but just a suitcase and a lot of, you know, God, I don't know why you have me here. Let's see what you're going to do. Well, it was just shortly after that that, um, that Columbine happened, the shooting in Columbine where I think it was three or so kids went into the school and they killed their, their, their compadres. Twenty-something kids were slaughtered. And I was troubled by that because I was like, Lord, Lord, you don't let things like this happen without at least sparking in my... I'm troubled when disaster can hit us and none of us knew. Where were we? Come on, man. The reason why we worship and I want to cultivate a relationship with God so that foreknowledge is there to give the intercessors a chance to pray. So I was troubled by this and the Lord told me very distinctly, I told many people about this before it happened. So I, w- I went and I shared this with a, with a good pastor friend of mine. He was the associate pastor at that time of the largest church in Denver. The largest church in Denver was Heritage Christian Center, 14,000 people. And the senior associate minister there is a good pa- pastor friend of mine. His name was Curtis Dean. So I went to Curtis and I said, Curtis, you know, I'm troubled how something as bad as Columbine can happen only a few miles from where you and I live and we didn't know. He says, Felix, we knew. He says, we were at a pastor's uh, lunch a week before it happened. And the word of the Lord came to a whole bunch of pastors that the Lord said there's a spirit of terrorism that is entering into the United States. It's a spirit. And it will begin by working through the school system where kids will rise up and kill kids. And then we were told to stop it, you men need to pray. He says, Felix, we only prayed for four minutes because lunch was being served. And we carried on eating. We only said, oh, Lord, 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 you know, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And then, oh, now it's lunchtime. And we all ate. And as soon as Columbine happened, he remembered. And he says, my heart has been troubled. I know that I know, as I know my own name, we were given an opportunity to stave off this disaster. But we were too lazy to pray. Because lunch was being served. Any one of us that ever saw 9-11... 9-11, I saw it when I was still in Zimbabwe. And I used to ask the Lord, why are you showing me things about New York City? I live in Chirezi. Why am I seeing buildings come down in New York City? I, I never understood why. Until I saw the second tower fell, and it was like I was in that dream, I was in a deja vu. I said, I've seen this before. And the Lord said, yes, I, I showed this years ago. But what did you do? Huh? Why are you showing me this? No prayer. The Lord does nothing on the earth without first revealing it to his servants, the prophet. December 31st, a few years ago, I was pastoring in, in, in Putnam, Connecticut. And uh, a week before that, I did, I did a dream that I shared with my youth pastor. I dreamt, I dreamt of a, a woman coming under attack and getting killed in the dream. I went to my youth pastor at that time, a young man called Amando. I said, Amando, man, I feel troubled. I need you to help me pray. Let's pray that the Lord does something. Amando and I kind of prayed. Shortly after that, one of the ladies in our church that ran our children's ministry fell from the top stair in our house all the way down to the bottom. We thought that she was going to, you know, she was going to snap her neck. And, and nothing happened to her. So Amando and I in, instantly concluded that that's what we saw. So we stopped our assignment. We're like, oh, God has already come through. It was Susan. Susan fell, but she, she, didn't get hurt. she didn't get hurt. God has already answered. So then for, for, for New Year's Eve, 
Instead of doing a service like I usually do, we decided to invite everybody to where we're staying and we're just going to do board games and have family time before the, you know, before the first of the year, right? 31st of December, we all met, we served food. Everybody is, 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 is wonderful. There was a couple there that were Debbie and Harry, good friends of ours. You know, um, and Debbie and Harry are there. We're playing board games at maybe 10 minutes till midnight. I excused myself because I wanted to enter into the new year on my knees before the Lord. So I said goodnight to everyone and I went to my room. And I knelt by my room. At 1.15, 15 minutes after, after, after around 12.15 rather, 15 minutes into the new year, I get a phone call. And it's Debbie, one of the couple that was there. And she's like, she's crying. I was like, are you guys okay? Did you have an accident on the way back home? She is wailing on top of her. Pastor Felix, Pastor Felix, please help. I said, what happened? Says, Jenny, yeah, Jenny, your daughter. Says, yeah, Jenny has just been shot and killed by her boyfriend. In, in, in a neighborhood town, which was 12 minutes from where I lived. I was like, what are you saying? Says, Jenny was eight months pregnant. I've been praying for this young lady. Says, yes, he came home, mad and upset. He followed her, he shot her once. He followed her again, he shot her twice. And then killed her and killed the baby with, uh, with her. Jenny's dead, Pastor Felix. This is a 12.15, a couple that had just been with me less than 20 minutes before that. I got upset at God. I was on my knees at that time. I said, Father, how can this happen on my watch and you don't tell me? And right there, the Lord says, I told you. I already told you. What? That's what you saw. What happened? We concluded it was something else. Didn't ask the Lord, was this the assignment? No, we just, because praying is inconvenient, you understand. It takes time from other things you could be doing. You could be watching sports, watch, catching that test cricket. You know, you could be doing all. So, so sometimes we want to go conveniently, quickly through prayer so we can get back to our usual activity. The Lord rebuked me right there and then and said, son, you knew because I told you. I said, father, I'm sorry. I didn't do what I needed to do. I, I, I didn't hold for it. This is what I learned then over the years. Can you stop everything? Maybe not. But the Lord does not reveal except to redeem. The Lord does not give information for information's own sake. Anything that, you, that the Lord gives you that is a foreseeing of anything is to activate the intercessor to work. It's a calling for the intercessor to work. You see, sometimes intercessors get insight about a church, about what's wrong with the church. And instead of praying, because that's your primary focus, is to pray. For some of you, you can walk into a church and know what's wrong with the church. Ah, you know, they need to do this. Ah, they need to do this. No, it's not your place to correct them. If you saw what's wrong, it's because you're being called to, to pray. But when you don't understand your assignment... You criticize and you know you're right because the Lord showed me what's wrong with this ministry and what's wrong with that ministry. The Lord is not interested in gossiping about ministers and ministries. If he reveals anything to you, it's because you are an intercessor by calling and he wants you to activate the prayer warrior in you. To cover. To stand in the gap. To protect. To stop the judgment from coming upon a group of people. Some of us that are here right now, are you even aware of what is hovering over this nation right now? I want to talk about America before I sit down. Because I'm telling you this, unless intercessors pray, the comfort that this nation has experienced over the years is going to end overnight. I'm not a doomsday preacher. I'm not a naysayer that looks for negativity. At all. I hate negative things. I only say this to warn you that there's judgment that is hovering over the nation right now. And, but for some strange reason, the church feels no need or no call to prayer. I don't understand this. You see, I was a pastor when 9-11 happened. I was pastoring in Connecticut. Our church almost doubled overnight. 
Because everybody instantly knew, we got to get to church. Them Americans, they knew when disaster comes, run to God, run to God. This is the first generation ever in the history of this nation. If you ever study the history of prayer, not the history of revival, but the history of prayer in the United States, here's what would happen. The United States would struggle, prayer would be lifted up, the Lord would bless, complacency would come in, drunkenness would come in, until the next disaster. When the next disaster hit, the people ran back to church, they cried out to God, and then the Lord would restore, and then people would be prosperous, and then they'll forget God, and then they'll walk away from God, and then the Lord would shut the heavens, and the drought would come, and the governor of a state would call for the world for, for a day of humiliation and prayer, and people would all come back to pray, and the rains will come back. That has been the cycle of life in these United States. All until the last disaster that happened with the economic downturn, that was the first time the church felt no need to address this in prayer. They just felt that the political realm will solve it. 30% of middle class wealth was lost. The church never called a prayer meeting to say, something is up, are we under judgment? Lord? Did we do something wrong? Do we have to realign? No. People instantly began to blame. The blame game began. It's not us, it's them politicians. It's not them, it's the lefties. It's not the lefties, it's the conservatives. It's not the conservatives, it's the Muslims. It's not everybody else is to blame. Right now in the nation, who is to blame? All the immigrants coming in, they're to blame. All those, those, those progressives coming, they're to blame. All it's the Trump lovers, they're to blame. All it's the Trump haters, they're to blame. Everybody is pointing fingers everywhere. And there's not a single place you will find where anybody is owning up to the disaster that we are about to face and saying, it's us, we are the fault, Lord, but please forgive us. And because there's no prayer being offered, I'm telling you this right now, unless you that are intercessors get a hold of what I'm saying, you're going to be observance of a, of, a, of a real disaster. Why would I say this with so much emphasis? 1995, I'll take you back to the city of Bulawayo in my country in Zimbabwe. I was in a youth meeting in 1995, August of 1995, and a young man got up and prophesied over my country. He says, guys, I see an economic disaster, the likes of which the world has never seen, hitting the nation of Zimbabwe. He says, I see, I, the Lord showed me entire stores open with empty shelves and not a single item of food on the shelf. He said, I saw people carrying wheelbarrows of money, and that money could not buy a single loaf of bread. Do you know what we all said that we're in that meeting? Never. That can be God. Do you know why? Because we were prosperous. At that time, I was working for this little company that I was working for. I had a, 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 a four-bedroom house by a five-star golf course. You understand? I had country club membership in two country clubs and an expense account. from my, And I was 21 years old. I was doing better than my father had ever done. And somebody came and prophesied disaster over my country. Do you think I was going to receive that? I said, get away. I don't believe that. This was in 1995. 2001. Exactly six years later, the economy completely bottomed out overnight. We went to bed trading with the U.S. one to three. Three of our dollars bought one U.S. dollar. We woke up the next morning, it was one to 16. We woke up the morning following that, it was one to 32. By the end of that particular week, we had hit one to 100. By the time it was all done, it was over a billion to one, over a very short space of time. I've never seen an economy bottom out so fast from under us. Then here's what happens. In my country at that time, you could be a millionaire and starve unless you are a millionaire that knows how to make paper edible. Because you could have a million dollars and not be able to afford food because there was no food. You could have died of hunger with a million dollars in your pocket. Everything that young man prophesied happened. And I turned back to the Lord and the Lord says, I warned you in the church. You thought this kid is just a kid? 
People didn't pray. People didn't cover it. People were so comfortable in their own wealth. They could not foresee disaster of any kind. And so they shut the voice of the prophets and carried on living as business as usual until the day that the lights were turned off. So what am I saying? The call for revival and the call for intercessors is a call to get back to work. We've been complacent for too long. You have to understand what's happening in the unseen realm. You have to understand the battles that are taking place at a global level right now. It's less to do with America. You know, it's got something to do with the, 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 there's a global clashing happening in the unseen realm. And the whole time we've got a whole bunch of Christians that are upset because the service went 15 minutes too long. Are we okay? I'm almost, I'm almost done. It's going to be lunchtime and then games after this. But all I, all I have to say is this. You've got work to do. I've got work to do. Friends, we've got work to do. And why I love that is that it gives me another reason to wake up in the morning, Pastor. I don't want to live one more day past my purpose. If my purpose is, my purpose is done, take me home, Father. Don't keep me here being useless. I have no business being on earth unless I'm fulfilling my divine purpose. Who's going to cry out for the colleges that are getting more and more godless by the day? Who's crying out for the high schools that are shutting God out? An entire generation is being raised. That does not even have the slightest point of reference as to who God is. You see, previous generations did not have to agree, but they had the muscle. They had enough of a foundation that whenever the Lord corrected them, they had a place to come back to. But if you raise up a generation that is not even given the most basic foundation in truth, where do they run to? when disaster hits. Does anybody care? Is anybody concerned? The circus that is taking place in the world of politics right now is not geared to produce anything good. Trust me. The intercessors in the church to be so comfortable to not be aware that disaster is knocking. Where are the intercessors that will stand in the gap and lift up the banner and say, my father, I'm praying for the preservation of life. I'm praying for the propagation of the gospel. I'm praying for more workers to enter into the vineyard of the Lord because you said for us to pray that the Lord of the harvest may send more laborers. Father, there's got to be a laborers from every generation, from every age group. Lift up the laborers and let us play our part. Who is there crying out and saying, Father, my God, because of this nation's, what this nation has done is that America, literally, American dollars have sponsored the gospel around the world for many years now. Many, many years. A lot of the works that are taking place in India, you guys know that the truth. The money is raised right here in the United States. If this nation collapses, what's going to happen to some of those, you know, little pastors up in North India that are ministering to the tribal people that are being sustained by the little bit of money you're able to send? If this whole thing bottoms out, what happens to them? So you pray that the Lord preserves the nation for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom. Don't relish the thought of disaster hitting this nation. Why would you do that? Because if disaster hits, it affects us. It affects your children. It affects their inheritance in this country. So no, we lift up the nation and say, Father, awaken the church to just, you know, if the church can just get into repentance because we have a church now that's being taught that they have no need to repent because all sins are forgiven past, present, and future. Oh, you don't ever have to repent for anything. Yet men of God that walked with God, that saw him face to face, knew that when they did wrong, they ought to come back to the foot of the Lord and ask for forgiveness. They knew better than that. Men like David that knew grace more than you do in the new covenant. 
Knew that when he did something wrong, he had to come back to the Lord in repentance in Psalm 51 and say, against you and you only have I sinned and done this terrible thing. Forgive me. Oh no, but you know better. Because you know Pauline doctrine. Listen, the path of revival is actually pretty simple when you look at it. What happens is this. The first part of revival is always painful because people become aware of their sin. Nobody likes that. Nobody enjoy, I don't know if you guys enjoy it. I don't enjoy having my sin, sin shown to me. It breaks my heart. So the first part of revival is actually the breaking of the heart. It's not celebration and rejoicing. It's when my heart is broken. Because I see how I'm off course with what God wants. Forcing me to come back to the Lord in tears and in supplication. And say, Father, forgive me, Lord, please. Realign me with your purpose. And then out of that overflow, of that repentance, the true cry before the Lord, the Lord will always send grace. Why? Because the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Lord cannot ignore the groaning of the oppressed. He cannot do it. He instantly comes in to swoop but when he comes in he brings his presence and in his presence is the fullness of joy and the joy of the Lord becomes the strength of the church then we go out preaching the message of the good news but it always begins with a moment of repentance and the church in recent times on Christian TV major networks is being told you have absolutely no reason in fact you are not walking in faith if you feel you've got anything to repent for because all your sins were forgiven past present and future being set up for disaster. Because who has never seen the hand of God come to rescue a person that's broken before the Lord in repentance? Ahab was one of the most apathetic kings ever. You understand? Ahab was as bad as it gets. Ahab married Jezebel. That's how bad he was. And the word of the Lord came to Ahab. Set your house in order because I'm about to destroy your house. What does Ahab do? He tears his clothes. He covers himself in sackcloth and ashes. And cries before the Lord. What does the Lord do? Send Elijah back to Ahab and tell him, it's okay. It won't happen in your generation. The judgment will be passed on to the generation of your kids. It doesn't mean it's a guarantee. It means that they'll also get a chance to respond or to deny God. If the Lord could come so quickly to the aid of Ahab, that's how powerful repentance is. Do you know what? One summer, I spent one summer here when I was in Denver researching the slavery here in America. Because I, you know, recently I've actually found out, I thought I was from the southern part of Africa. I did my genealogical tests and I found out, no, actually my people, not that long ago, migrated from, from the area. Because when, when I did my DNA testing, I found out that, that, that I, had, I had affinity or a genealogical affinity with almost 30% of African Americans here. That's when I found out that the migration pattern was that my people had run away from where the slave ships were coming and had forced themselves to migrate south. I thought I was always southern African Bantu. I'm not. The majority of my DNA is from up north in the west where the slavery was taking place. So I was doing research on slavery and it broke my heart. And I said, Father, how can any of this ever be swept in the carpet? My God, and, and I felt the Lord saying, this is why the church must repent. Because for stuff like this, the cry of blood like this will always scream judgment. And the only way to reset this is when the church comes in in repentance. My people that are called by my name. Because if the nation had to pay for this sin, the nation would have to be destroyed. So only repentance resets. Imagine that. Imagine having untold disaster in your past and all heaven asks you to do is to bend the knee and to say, Father, I'm sorry. And people still won't do it. 
They still want to stab him. Nah, nah. Did nothing wrong. That's why the church is necessary in this country. Because only the church can press the reset button. The bloodshedding of the Civil War was directly tied to what had happened in slavery. It was blood for blood. It was bloodletting because bloodletting had taken place. 56,000 at Gettysburg killed in 24 hours. Brother against brother. Because blood always cries out. But what happens? The church has the reset button as the intercessor. Lord, I know if, if you were to, to charge me for the crimes of my bloodline, I would not be able to stand. Yeah. Because you see, some of you are third generation Christian. My grandfather, my grandfather, my father's father, my apachan, arranged for the murder of my grandmother on my mother's side. And then he himself, six months later, was abducted and he was mutilated and killed. Before they killed him, they cut off everything. Ears, eyes gorged out, tongue cut out. And then they shot him at early in the morning as the sun was rising. I come from the dirt. I come from the, the filth of sin. And yet all it required to turn away that entire tide of sin was just a brokenness to come in and say, Father, Father, forgive us. What is that? Heaven and earth participation. Your, 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 your participation in the kingdom of God is key. That's why you're alive today. Before I sit down, what am I asking of you? Stop being a lazy intercessor. What's wrong with you? You got salvation of people groups in your mouth. You understand? Your cry before the Lord can avert disaster, untold disaster. Why are we so comfortable that we don't know how to inconvenience ourselves as true intercessors? It's time to come back to our post. The watchmen must stand on the wall again and be on the lookout so that disaster does not fall into this country without any of us getting a heads up as to what is coming. Not on our watch. A Christian in India, oh, look at what Modi is doing. You know, he's stopping all this and stopping all that. And I always ask them, didn't you guys, didn't you get warning ahead of time that this was going to happen? And if you did, did the church ever assemble to pray for the government that was coming in to stop? No, everybody was so busy doing other things. Then now when it's upon you, then it's, oh, you know, let's pray for the Christian. No, the Lord warns us ahead of time to stop some of these things from happening. You've got literally, the, look at what, what Daniel did. Daniel prayed and changed world government. You understand that the Medes and the Persians and the Babylonians were not ruling countries. They were ruling the world. And Daniel's single prayer caused a shift in the government in the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. The ousting of Darius and the rise of Cyrus the Great who gave freedom to the Jews. Because one man went before the Lord and he stood in the gap on behalf of the Jews. And he said, Father, you said to Jeremiah that we were supposed to be in this captivity for 70 years. The 70 years is up. What are we still doing here? Open your hand and save us. And Daniel, though he was said to be a man of excellent spirit, he began to confess sins he never himself committed. He says, our fathers did this and we did that and we, we've broken your covenant. We've done all this. He took on ownership of the sin of, of Judah. And he cried out before the Lord. And an angel of the Lord was dispatched to him and said, Daniel, I have come because of your words. From the day you set your heart to seek the Lord, I was sent to you with your answer. Amen. Are you okay? We good? We're happy campers? All right, cool. Let's all stand, please.
one of the most beautiful opportunities we have is to just partner with the Lord. It's, a, it's an amazing opportunity to partner with the Lord. For some of you youngsters, you know, my own testimony is this. This is the last thing I was supposed to be doing with my life. Because I couldn't speak in public. I couldn't do it. Whenever I got nervous, I used to stutter. I used to stutter horribly. So whenever I would get nervous, I will go, and nothing would come out. If you hear some of my earliest preaching, you can't even go through five minutes without wanting to turn it off. It was horrible. And the question is this, then what happened? What happened is I went to the Lord and I said, Father, if you need somebody in my generation to talk to my generation, and nobody else will do it, I didn't need that. It was not fun. Because the Lord would ask me to go and preach at a youth group and I would be so nervous. Pastor, it used to take me weeks and weeks to prepare. And even then, I was always nervous that it won't work out. And some of the most depressed moments I've had is when I've taught something and I felt it didn't come through clearly. I'll be, I'll be depressed for three or four days. But I'll get up and do it again. Because I felt that the Lord was saying, if you're the only one available, I'll use whoever is available. I'm not going to use whoever is best. I'll use whoever is available. So amongst my friends, I had friends that were great orators, guys that were in the debate class, guys that were in the public speaking competitions in class. They don't preach the gospel today. The one guy that couldn't do it. The one guy that was so horrible at one time. I, I spoke in public at our school, and I, I, it was so bad that the principal escorted me off the stage. And my friend came up to me and says, Felix, just stick to what you're good at, brother. You're good at other things. You don't have to force this. Don't embarrass us like that again. One of my best friends told me that. And I vowed before the Lord, Lord, I will never do this except here's what I felt. The Lord would give me insight in his word and you'll say, this is for my children. And I said, Lord, I want to share it with them. I just don't know how to speak. So if I struggle, I'll struggle. But I'll do the best. I'll never eat alone. If you give me any morsel of a meal that could be helpful for your people, I'll not eat alone. I'll eat with them. Even if I don't know how to present it. So it was time after time after time of forcing my way through this that one Saturday in, in Chirezi, Zimbabwe, preaching to my youth on the anointing of Saul. When the Bible says, and the spirit of the Lord shall come upon you and you shall be turned into another man. I think it's First Samuel chapter 10. As I was saying those words, something snapped in my mouth. And for the first time, my thoughts and my mouth were linked. If I can think it, I can say it. There's no longer that gap that caused me to stutter. Gone, just like this. After months and months and months of failing and failing, but carrying on doing it because nobody else amongst my friends was stepping up and somebody had to do it. Learn how to play the keyboard, not because I was a musician, but because nobody else, we had a keyboard in the church, but nobody was learning an instrument because they didn't have the time. Well, nobody has the time. But when there's a need and you make yourself available, heaven will use you. Heaven will use you. One of the greatest things you can ever do is to participate with the Lord in establishing his house. Whatever vision the Lord has for bread of life. When you say, Father, I'll do my little bit. Or we want the church to grow. I'll invite someone. Every week, I will not show up to church without inviting someone. Why? Because that's the only way we can grow is if I play my part. Who knows what God can use through you? Because you decided that I want to partner with whatever my father is doing. Sign me up. Arianitha, Dave. Arianitha.
If any of you that are here and you know that the Lord was speaking to your heart right now, and you, I don't even know how to call this all, except to say this, but you feel in your spirit that you want greater availability. You want to be one of heaven's partners on the earth. And you mean it. You're not just saying it because we're in church. But in your heart, you feel that the Lord was talking to you. I want to see what I want to pray for. I want to pray for you right now. That you join in the ranks of whatever God is. Lift those hands up high. If you know the Lord was dealing with you particularly today, lift those hands up high. I'm going to ask that the Lord opens your ear to hear his voice. Because God doesn't shout, my friend. God whispers sometimes. You have to be able to differentiate his voice from your voice and from the voice of the world. And for some of you, I pray that the Lord will peel back the veil of your eyes. That the Lord will enable you to glimpse of upcoming events before they happen. To give you an opportunity to stand in the gap. Lift those hands up high if you mean business. It's time to exercise your spiritual senses. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, as your servant, as your son, as I stand in this place on this assignment, Father, you see your children with hands raised. With every hand that is raised, there's a heart that loves you, Jesus. There's a heart that wants to serve you. Open up their inner ear to hear the whispering of God. Open up their eyes to see the visions of heaven so that whatever you want to show them, Father, have access to do it. Open up their spiritual senses that they might taste and see that the Lord is good. Have access to them 24 hours a day. If you need them to wake up at 1 in the morning, wake them up. Make them available. If you need their tears to be liquid prayers, cause their tears to run. So that as they bring the nations before you, the hand of God may move through the prayers of his saints. If they need somebody to speak forth the word to the, to the women, raise up women preachers, raise up male preachers, raise up children preachers. Because you says your sons and daughters shall prophesy. So let our sons and daughters prophesy, Father. You said upon my men servants and my maid servants will I pour my spirit in those days. Pour out your spirit on all of us. Male and female, old and young. My Father, so that every day we spend between today and the day we come home to be with you, let every day be consequential. Let every day matter. Let every day have kingdom value. Let every day have eternal consequence. It's the cry of our hearts. So the time of spiritual deafness is gone. Your ear is now able to hear the voice of God. The time of spiritual blindness is gone. Your eye is able to see and peer into the realms of God. The days of spiritual discernment, of a lack of it, are gone. Now you can able to discern spirits, to know when God is, when it's God or when it's man, when it's man's mission or when it's God's mission. You will be able to discern the spirits. Rise up and take your place. May your every day you spend from this day forward matter to all eternity. For we ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus, and we all say, "Amen." Amen. God bless you.